gently struts in his odd clogs as if he owns the fortress, calling out to vermin he recognizes and teasing how they'd gone all soft living uh, with living on land. Now the game between the two stoats starts, playing at being friends, never letting the other see if they're scared or not. Compliments are traded, and Clog offers a gift of a keg of damson wine, being sure to take a big drink himself first, of course. Like, basically, Badrang waits until, like, he brings, like, a beaker to his lips but doesn't drink until Clog has already taken a deep, like, drink of it, and he just sips it. Mm-hmm. He, he do a little sippy. Uh, Clog settles himself down into Badrang's chair. Uh, Clog shod feet perched now on top of Badrang's dining table. Badrang sits on the edge of the table, the game playing out as the two itch to grab their weapons. We get some very delightful banter between these two. They're just, like, literally, like, as this is happening, like, this whole game, we have Badrang, like, runs up to to, to Clog and, like, gives him a big hearty hug. Clog, like, beats him on the back, like, oh, it's so good to see you, da 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 all of this shit. They're playing at being old friends rather than enemies because they fucking hate each other. It's just, it's very good. because like they're really playing it up. Um, and it's an old game. And you can tell it's an old game between these two. It is so fucking entertaining. It's just the fact uh, that their paws stay near their weapons the whole time. Getting closer to the point, though, Clog mentions how the last time he'd seen Badrang, he'd been left on a reef while the other soat sailed off with all the slaves, half of which should have been Clog's. Huh, imagine that. Then Badrang counters, of course, saying that he hadn't left Clog. He had abandoned Clog on that reef. He'd been blown away by a storm and wrecked by it uh, as well, then chosen to trek until finding this place. Of course, that is when the game ends. Clog drops his jolly attitude, throws his beaker of damson wine at the wall, demands that now that Badrang is a little lordling, uh, to give him his half of the slaves. Badrang, of course, says that he has earned all he has, and Clog will get none of it. Clog calls for an open fight then, and his crew responds until Badrang catches him off guard. He gets a poison dagger up against Clog's neck, and Hisk, his weasel captain, reports that archers with poison arrows are in position to kill Clog's crew. And I... Oh, sorry, go ahead and read that last sentence, though. Uh, Clog surrenders, uh, insults Badrang for using poison, and swears to return to his ship peacefully. Now, I do like this. Because if you think about it, they're Corsairs. They're used to using the ocean. And like, sure, maybe they go a little inland and grab from villages and stuff. Villages, whatever, they pass mm-hmm. for towns in this world, so on. They're not used to laying siege to fortresses. Not really. So it makes sense. You know, Clog isn't used to dealing with land-based warfare. He struts on in thinking his bluster and bluff will be enough to win day. You know, a big enough show of force. But he struts right into the enemy camp. No planning, no ex- like no planning, no backup plan. So yeah, of course he gets tricked and his butt kicked. Mm-hmm. Shockingly, Badrang lets Clog go. Clog swears that there will not be a third time that he is tricked by his fellow Stoke. He will be back for his slaves. And he'll kill Badrang and burn the fortress while he's at it. And I do like this because it's fun to see a villain get plot armor on occasion, even if it rusts later in the story. Poorly made. Just (laughs) poorly, poorly made armor, man. So bad. Uh, With all of this hubbub, the slaves' meals were forgotten until nightfall. Gurad is sent to feed them. This is the, the prisoners in the prison pit. Um, he grumpily tells an otter named Keela, or Kayla, whichever you want to pronounce it. I have been- Kayla's how I've been saying it. I've been swapping between Keela and Kayla. I think Keela feels more masculine to me, but also that's just me. And also it doesn't matter because names are fake. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, he grumpily tells the otter to hurry up when dropping scraps to the prisoners in the pit below. And now, now, what Kayla is doing is, is he, his ass is sat on the grate, and he is pushing the scraps one at a time through the grate, just poking them through. 
He's, you know, I mean, taking his time. Yeah. Like, if you're not going to open it, I just, I got to do what I can to make sure they get their food. Poke, 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 poke. Yep. And Kayla's a smart beast. He manages to convince Gurad that, oh, he could be coming down with a fever. Because he, Gurad, it's cold. It's windy. Gurad is out there. He's got a cloak wrapped around him. And, you know, you never know what those sea rats will bring in after all. Best go back inside. He'd be a good loyal slave and finish feeding these defiant, stupid slaves below. Like, he literally, he went up to Gurad, pulled that cloak just a little tighter around him, and was like, you go back inside where it's warm. Get you some wine. You're shivering so much, I'm afraid you're coming down with a fever. Don't worry, I'll finish taking care of it. I mean, listen... These these two were stupid enough to get themselves in this situation. Like, eh, I don't want to be like that. And he's like, well, you better report back to the person you're supposed to report to when you're done. He's like, of course. Of <laughs> course I will. I'll, I'll report right back to the compound guard. And Gurad's like, Don't worry about no, okay. it. <laughs> yeah. Hook, line, and sinker. Oh, it's so good. Like, and this is one of those things where it's like, somebody could say that Gurad has the idiot ball, but... There is logic to this. Mm-hmm. Like, what is what is Kayla gonna do? What what are these slaves gonna do in this pit? Like, there's nowhere they can go. There's nothing they can do. There's no harm in it. And yeah, he's fucking cold. He's had a bad he's, day. He got knocked hard on his ass. Yeah, he's gonna go inside and just you know chill for a little bit, drink some wine, you know, feel better about himself. If Kayla tries to do anything stupid, there's other people around. Like, if he doesn't report to the compound guard, eventually the, the, he's going to get found out. Mm-hmm. You know? And he kn- and he knows it'll be worse for him. And he's already playing up like, I'm a good slave. I don't think for myself. No, sir. Yeah. So this is less the idiot ball and more like this is just a well-written scene, honestly. This is he just... p- playing what you know will work against these guards. Like, it's not going to work every time. If you do it too often... If they do this trick too often, like, the guards will catch on. They'll know what's going on. Uh, Gurid says that, like, yeah, he'll go in. Uh, the moment Kayla's done, he's to report back to the slave compound guard. Kayla assures him that he wants his sleep. Once the rat shuffles off, though, uh, he presses his face to the grate to hear his friend Feldo's orders. He's immediately like, alright, what's the plan? Mm-hmm. Uh... Rose and Grum sneak back to the fortress in time to see the sea scarab disappearing in a southerly direction. Uh, as they ponder what to do now, they hear singing. It's a ditty telling them about Martin and Brome, and if they're listening, won't they reply? Uh, she sings a reply that yes, she's here to help, and a hastily sung warning that a guard uh, is approaching and a promise to return next night sends all of them scurrying. If you would like to read these ditties out. I know a mouse called Martin, and a young un who's named Brome, captured by some vermin scouts as he strayed from his home. So if you're out there listening, I'll pause a while and wait, for I've been singing half the night on this side of the gate. That's Feldo. Then Rose responds, My name is Rose of Noonvale, the tribe of Uranvo. My only brother is called Brome, and Martin's name I know. We're here so we can help them, so please, friend, tell me what we can do to aid these two and try to set them free. And then Feldo's quick response, A vermin guard approaches. Quick, get yourselves from sight. I'll try to get back to you this time tomorrow night. It's some good shit. Uh, Kayla, at that point, is uh, caught by the guards who ask why he was singing. He says he was singing to keep Gurad from getting sick. One doesn't believe him, but the other is much more superstitious and terrified of sickness. So he orders him to sing the charm. So he does, making it up on the spot. <clears throat> oh, spirit of the seasons, who rules the land and sea, from crabby claws and runny snouts, good spirits keep us free, from tummy ache, sore tail and sniffs, from grunge and whiskered cramp, from wobbly paws and flurgy twinge, oh, keep all in this camp. Flurgy twinge. He, he makes up some good shit, just kind of off the top of his head. Uh, and again, the skeptic doesn't believe it, but the superstitious one does and encourages him to keep singing the charm as long as he wants. Uh, the guards wander off, the fearful one half convincing the skeptic that he was getting sick. 
And to try to sing the made-up ditty as they go, he's like, oh, you've got this, like, yellow patch on your ear. That wasn't there at the beginning of the season. And it's just, like, I'm just gonna say as, like, someone who, like, I I know it's not called hypochondria anymore. I can't remember what the term is now. But, like, I have an aunt who is a hypochondriac. So reading these two convincing each other that they are sick, I'm just, like, going, no, 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 guys, no. Because sometimes you do see a spot and your brain's just like, hey, let's obsess about this for the next week. And then we're actually going to make it a problem because we'll keep messing with it. Kit getting flashbacks. (laughs) (sighs) Um, Actually, no, you're not kidding. That did actually happen to me in 2019. Remember? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. No, it's okay. Like for the readers, I want to let you know, there is no shame in having medical anxiety, I think is more the proper term now. Mm-hmm. Because in 2019, I did have probably one of the worst mental breakdowns of my life because I found, uh, not just like trigger warning for medical stuff, but I found a lump on my right leg. And my brain obsessed with it so bad that I literally broke down. Like I was shaking and crying. I got the lump removed. Turns out it was a, just a lipoma, which is just a benign, fatty, hard lump that can show up. Apparently they're really common and I probably have a few more on my body. But where they are... They blend in and this one hurt. The other ones I had didn't hurt. Mm -hmm. So that's why my brain obsessed with it. And it took me a good half a year to get myself back to a regular place and a good year after that to finally feel secure again. Mm -hmm. So if you do experience medical anxiety, you are not alone and you are not, there's nothing wrong with you. Okay. You, you, you can learn, you can learn to get over it. Mm -hmm. There are ways that you can help yourself. Yeah. So don't feel shame. Okay, and with that deep moment, let's get back to the book. Of course, for Caleb, hearing the guards have this reaction uh, gives him a good laugh as he heads back for the compound. Badrang posts guards at all hours of the day now, doubling the guards on the slaves as well, no matter what activity they were doing. Bark John, Feldo's father, manages to get himself on kitchen duty. He uses this to listen for whatever scraps of information he can get and pass it along to a growing little ring of defiant slaves. Kayla, Bark John, and a hedgehog named Hillgorse are the ringleaders of the group, who meet to share information and plan around the fire at night in the slave compound. Bark John says they're to help the three in the prison pit escape. He knows that if they can get out, they won't stop until those left inside are freed. A mousemaid agrees and asks how they can help. He says to make sure they get double rations, whoever is foraging, be it fish or in the fields, and to make sure to slip them whatever they can. An otter who works in the quarry asks how she can help, so Hilgors tells her to slow the work as much as she dares and steal whatever she can that might possibly become a weapon. Now behind the group, a voice raises in dissent. They're only going to get everyone in trouble. It's a surly bankvole named Droop? Drup? Droop? Droop. It's We're going to go with Droop. Yeah. It's spelled D-R-U-W-P. So I assume that it is meant to be just a misspelling of Droop. And again, if this is a local or colloquial thing that we are misunderstanding, please feel free to correct us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is dragged to the forefront to speak his mind. Uh, he's a clearly a coward and a snitch, saying they're better off living as slaves than dying or doing something stupid. He wants nothing to do with their plans. Uh, he is also called out for being a snitch and told he has to be involved in the plan, whether he likes it or not. Um, we also had a bit of a moment where we're just both like, God damn it, the bank voles are causing shit again. <laughs> it's always the voles. Just, and then I decided to run with it. Bankfuls run the HOA in Future Moss Flower. They bring store-bought shitty potato salad to potlucks. They park in the handicap stalls. It's always the voles. Mm-hmm. So, like, the voles are the wasp of the HOA world. God. <laughs> Am I wrong? No. Bark John says that they all need to work together. Uh, together, they make a steady stream, able to wear down stone. Apart, they're simple drops of water. Still, Droop chooses to say no. Slinging away to sit by himself, but not before he's threatened by Bark John to keep silent. If he snitches, he's a dead beast. Simple as that. Like, Droop is like, I don't want to be on either side. I want to keep to myself. And, um, uh, he, and he's correct. He's, he's going to snitch. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's going to snitch, but he is also correctly called out and that, like, no, you are a part of this. If you are here with us, you are a part of this and you can't say no. Whatever we do affects you and whatever you do affects us. That's how this works. Mm-hmm. Which is true. Hey, anybody who is like, ma'am, capitalism sure does fucking suck. Did you know that unionizing is completely legal? <laughs> Did you know that the more of you that get together and do things to make things better for yourselves, the less they can tell you no? Listen, for every kid who grew up with Pixar, remember A Bug's Life. They literally illustrate this perfectly with the seed allegory. One yep. seed doesn't hurt, two seeds don't hurt, but suddenly you get dogpiled by over a thousand seeds. That hurts. One person can try to make as much of a change as he wants, but he needs help. So, with that awkward moment over, Kayla breaks up the meeting to go feed the three in the pit. Rose and Grum are stymied by the two guards standing watch. They can't even hope to get close enough to hear to hear their helper. But Grum advises they sit tight and trust the helper. They seemed clever enough. Uh, Kayla tries to plan with the trio below how to get the guards away from their post. Uh, like Kayla's just like, I can't do shit if they're there. God damn it, Kit! <laughs> uh, we're gonna get to that in a second. A guard hears them and uh, blusters up, threatening to beat Kayla up, basically. But uh, Kayla protests. He wasn't talking to the slaves. The slaves were crying up to him that they had a fever and needed out. So we get into Kit talking about uh, the the hypochondria thing, which Kit all just talked about. And I said that this feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy. We're being shown the barrel of a gun. Check cuffs. Gun. I made a note in our Discord. I said, guys, Izzy's gonna like come and murder me in my sleep once Seer sees the pun that I just made. Pray for me. I'm very proud of that. I'm going to break into your house. I'm gonna feed your dogs as many dog treats as it takes to keep them from barking at me. And uh, well, I'm going will... to stab you. <laughs> well, Moody will get a bark off before you even get in the house, but Astrid will be like, hello, friend, who are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, if Kit doesn't, if Kit sh- uh, shows up in the news murdered, uh, you'll know it was me. <laughs> it's a too bad you don't have a bear fursona because then we could say it was a rather grisly attack. <sighs> <laughs> I've been bonked. Anyway, the guards debate back and forth. One near convinced there is a fever going around, not helped by Gerard's own half psychosomatic fever and wine hangover. The other guard quite logically counters every claim and ignores Kayla's ent- uh, entreaty to come down to check. Akela takes a chance telling the three below that the guards couldn't stop fevered creatures from yelling out, and it's worth a shot that Rose might hear them. Down in the pit, Brome shows he's got the strongest voice. Uh, he hollers out that they're ill. Doesn't anyone hear them? The guards say that aye, they do, and no, they don't care. If he doesn't stop, he'll be beaten black and blue. Brome says, oh yes, please do. Just come and check on them. Uh, but the guards refuse to budge. Outside, Rose is in tears, laughing at her brother's antics. Uh, she knows it's him, all right. He'd use that voice to pitch a fit and get his way. Nice to see Maybe. that uh, the the brat gets to at least use his powers for good. Uh, yeah, and like I think it might be a little less that he's a brat because so far he's been a very reasonable little fellow, even though he's in a traumatic situation. Like if this was not to be mean, but like if this was a bangful or even probably like a baby <laughs> squirrel, he'd be whining. Just like, oh, I don't deserve to be here. I should be home. I don't know what's going on. Instead, he's like, well, I goofed. I don't like it that I'm here. But, you know, if I can help get us out, I'll help. Like, he, he's a he's a brat, but he's a go-getter brat, which is a little more tolerable, if you know what I yeah. mean. He's, he's earned being bratty to an extent, if that makes <laughs> any sense. He's using those powers for good. 
Uh, yes. Grum agrees with Rose, and after Rose makes the great eagle cry again, mumbles about how her family is good at making noises. Because uh, they <laughs> are, apparently. Can't wait it's to hear what kind cute. of noises their father and mother can make. Right? Um, let me see. Da, 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 da. Let's see. Rose held her throat. Throwing back her head, she gave the eagle call. Grum winced and covered both ears. Moy, moy. What a family for noisin' and... Meister Brum will know for sure usins can hear him now, miss. I'm sure that was awful, but... Yeah, you did your best. Uh, yep. Brum confirms that it's his sister. He knows she can make that cry. So Martin tells him good and to prepare a message for her. Uh, Kayla is at this point chased off by the irate guards who scold him for starting the whole ruckus. Uh, he trots off with a grin as the guards bicker behind him. Brum starts up a wail and gets a response, then sends his message in what appears to be feverish gibberish. Uh, Rose sounds the positive that she'd gotten it, and the night finally falls silent, much to the guard's great relief. If you would like to read the feverish gibberish. <clears throat> in the middle of the gate, set your faces. Oh, I'm dying of fever. Walk to the south about twenty paces. It's a terrible thing, this fever. There are three of us in this awful pit. The fever, the fever. As deep as three mice and a bit. I'm going to die of fever. We need the claws of a good old chum. The fever, the fever. I know that you can do it, Grum. Don't let me die of fever. It's real good. It is. For something they came up with on the spot, they're very lyrical. Very lyrical bunch. Yep. Uh, Rose had written a message down, and they're both quick to figure Brome means for Grum to dig them out. When asked if he could, he says, of course, it's easier than eating puddings. Rose promises him more pudding than he could eat if he pulls this off. Moles are the freaking MVPs of every book. Let's be honest. Honestly, the moles save their moles butts don't so many get times. enough credit. Mm -mm. In this house, we love and support moles. Uh, a mole should be Abbott. Yes, a mole should be Abbott. Looking at you, Brian. I don't care if you're dead. <laughs> Summon you with a Ouija board. <laughs> Let a mole be Abbott. Let a mole in a book be Abbott, in fact. Because we Brian summon... could give us that whole, well, maybe one was an Abbott in like another time. It's like, no, 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 in a book. Yeah, you don't get a wiggle out that way, Brian. I just anyway. scared myself with my own reflection. <laughs> Uh, we join Badrang eating a seabird as Skalrag makes his report about the goings-on. And Skalrag is in front of him, like, kind of hopping from foot to foot, scared out of his fucking mind, because Badrang is mercurial, as our villains tend to be. I, honestly, though, he hasn't um, been the worst one so far, I'd he, say. He's like... not the worst one. He's definitely better than, um, what's-his-face, uh, the one sea rat. And not Clooney. No, the, the the sea rat. Oh, sea rat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, what, Gabool. Gabool. Gabool, yeah. I'd, I'd say Gabool has been the worst with Mar no, Slagger behind him. And then, like, you have, like, Clooney and Farrago. And I'd say, like, Clooney and Farrago are pretty similar in that they're a little mercurial, but they control their violence to control their men. Yeah. Um, and Badring is... I'd say he's just about their level. He's definitely nowhere near. I like, think Badrang is is more along the lines of Farago when it yeah. comes to like he uses it to his advantage. Like he he has control over his his reactions. Mm -hmm. um, he's definitely like I feel like he's probably the most forgettable one we've had so far because we just don't know anything about him. Like we haven't yeah. really been given a good description. Kai of him. is gonna be like, "How dare you say this about my Blorbo husband?" <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Everybody should join our Discord so you get these fun conversations. Uh, so yeah, uh, there's no sight of Clog. The prisoners seem to be sick. Uh, the armory is being uh, assessed and everything is in order. Uh, now he, Badring is a little put out by the prisoners in the, in the pit being sick, wondering if Brome had brought it with him. He, he wanted to have so much fun with them. Uh, but the fun he'd lost at the potential to torture them is made up by thinking of how he can now throw troublemaking slaves into the fever pit. They, he 
they can't blame them if they get sick after all. It's slaves making slaves sick. And, well, if his fortress isn't finished by the end of summer, he may just throw some of his captains in there as well. Skalrag stutters out that that's, that seems like a good idea, sir. Just, uh, you know that, like, one panel where it's, like, the comic of, like, some one of us has to become Catholic and it's, like, the Scooby-Doo goof comic? Um, I just, in my head, I just faintly hear, Jesus Christ! <laughs> like, Scoob, is that a gun? <laughs> I also can't believe they cast the guy who played Scooby in the live-action films to be, you know, in the FNAF movie as the villain. It's great. I'm uh, so... This movie's... I don't think I'll be able to watch that movie, but I am I wanna... Is it Markiplier, the security guard? I don't know! I really don't know! Anyway, anyway. uh, With the change of guard on the wall top, Rose is able to use the moment of laxness to find the spot that Brome sung about. Grum spots a good rock to hide the tunnel entrance behind. It's even big enough that Rose can spread out the dirt without being seen. Uh, they get to the rock, and Grum says a little good luck prayer before diving into the soil. Want me to read it? Yeah. Okay. Little look charm. To, look to oi in every mole, as ever went to dig a hole. Tunnel good for all I'm worth. Mole be best when digging earth. I like these little things. They're like mm-hmm. just little, 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 little bits of magic. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that bit of faith, that little bit of luck, just protect us, whomever is out there. Yep. Uh, after a bit of digging, he has Rose jump down to check the height, and he is dead on. It's two mouse heights down. This charmed me so much. Just the, the, the trust between jobs. these two. The trust between these two as well. Like, he's he good. is smart, and she trusts him. Yep. They're friends. Uh, she is hoisted back out and starts on spreading out the dirt as he begins to dig straight and true. Uh, Skalrag, still shaking from the interview, spots Droop pulling weeds and orders him closer. The bankful does scoot closer, and when Skalrag demands info from him, uh, he demands food back. Droop barters a whole fish and some of that damson wine out of him before being willing to snitch. And he, of course, snitches everything he knows, selling the rest out shamelessly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skalrug isn't pleased because uh, he doesn't, like, Droop doesn't know, like, how the prisoners are going to escape or, like, what everybody else is really doing. Just, like, what they're starting to do. But mm-hmm. it'll do for now. Uh, he asks Droop when he'll see him again. And the surly bankful says, like, he's like, uh, when, will, when uh, will I see you again, friend? And, and Droop is like, we're not friends. I'll be in touch. Uh, fucking, this dude's gonna die. This is gonna be karmic retribution. I'm calling it now. Yeah, and, like, I'm not surprised that he snitches like this, because, like, it's way too early in the book for them to actually, like, be able to get a good concrete advantage. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna escape this early in the book. But it's still, it's just like, how, how is he going to die? That's what I'm curious about. Like, I can't wait to see the, like, I agree with you. Like, we're gonna get to see, like, a karmic retribution here of some kind. Yeah. Brome and I, for is, one, am for it. Yeah. Brome is starting to droop again, fretting himself into a gloom. But the older two uh, chat to cheer him up. No worries about Grum. He'll get them out. Just then, Skalrag stabs his spear into the hole, mocking them for having a fever. Feldom mocks right back about hitting him with a rock. Skalrag threatens to come down and stab him, but Feldo counters yet again. He's too scared of fever. So maybe he is. But those below will get no food or water since they're not working. And he struts off, thinking he'd won the argument. Brome uh, starts to cry, but Martin encourages him once more. And then at that point, Feldo and Martin begin kicking the wall of the pit to help Grum find his way via the vibrations. Which, it, that, that, that's a thing. That's a thing It's so smart! Do. Yeah! It works. Uh, smart boys. Very smart boys. Uh, and they ask Brome to tell them about Noonvale while they do. Uh, it's real good. Do you want me to read the description? If you want to, yeah. You you know, like one of those sounds that like just just baked into your brain now. It's like that that old like late two thousands office phone ring. The yep. Okay, all right. Er, Let me see. What sort of place is Noonvale? Well, 
it's a deep glade far in the forest, a secret place, you might say. At dawn, the sunlight comes filtering like golden dust through the oaks and sycamores and elms. It is quiet. You can almost hear the sound of peace. Light blue smoke drifts up from the cookhouse fires, mingling with the green leaves above. Soft mosses and dark green grass carpet its slopes. And there are flowers, columbines, foxgloves, bluebells, wood anemones, and ground ivy. Ferns grow there too. Sometimes I would lie among them at dawn, catching dewdrops on my tongue. It's like, you know, this kid had to have listened to somebody talk about the place like this. Like, I bet his mom talks like this, and that's where he picked yeah. it up. Because he's like a kid. He's like more of a kid kid than Martin is, it's implied. Yeah. And, like, as Brom is talking, his mood lifts as he talks about the hidden village. And Feldo finds himself blinking back tears with the love Brom describes the place with. He asks of the creatures who live there. And so Brom talks of his mom and dad. Dad is stern but a good leader. Mom's the best cook around. There's other animals, too. Moles, squirrels, hedgehogs, otters. Uh, Martin asks about his mother's cooking. And so he does, describing her many good dishes, causing Feldo and Martin to wail about how it's agony. He needs to stop. They're so hungry. Uh, but he keeps on teasing them, and they kick harder as they play along. Okay, let's see. She cooks everything nice, Rome said longingly. Mushroom and chestnut stew, wild onion and leek soup, spring vegetable pasties. Nut bread, oat farl, wheat cob, all piping hot from the ovens. She baits blackberry and apple tarts, plum maple pudding, elderberry pie with yellow summer cream, gooseberry preserves, scones, hot with buttercup spread. Felda massaged his sunken stomach and he wailed, as he wailed aloud. Stop, stop, I can't stand it. All that beautiful food. Mushroom and chestnut stew, plum maple pudding. Oh, my aching teeth! Martin wiped a paw across his dripping mouth. Brome gave a loud chuckle as he mischievously continued tormenting his hungry friends. My father helps the moles and the hedgehogs. They brew all our drinks. Dandelion ale, strawberry cordial, chestnut brown beer. Oh, whoa! Chestnut brown beer! Stop, you little fiend! Stop! Martin and Feldo beat their foot paws harder against the wall. Real good. It's real good. <laughs> it's a nice way to keep the kid from getting, like, too stuck in his despair. Mm-hmm. Grum pops out of his hole for a moment and Rose praises his progress. He says it's easy with them pounding on the walls to guide him. He'll be due them uh, around midnight. Again, she praises him and he's quick to nip back to the tun uh, tunnel to hide his humble embarrassment. I love Grum. I love him so much. Get another he's mention. So, good. so she calls him a deer and he's like, I ain't no deer. I'm just a mole. And I'm like, there's another mention of deer. Where are the deer, Brian? Conspiracy theory. The island is like... You don't Did you ever read Guardians of Gahul? Like uh, some of the books, but not all of them. Okay. It's heavily implied that the Guardians of Gahul occurs in like a post-apocalyptic earth where humanity was there, but now we're gone. I'm starting to get more and more convinced that like Redwall exists in a post-apocalyptic world where like most of the large animals have died off. Hence why the smaller animals are starting to fill in different roles. Yeah. Because, like, they speak of these things, and we even hear, like, oh, I've seen one once, but we never actually see them. Like, mentions of pigs, dogs, horses, and such, but we never see them. Maybe eventually. Maybe. Probably not. I mean, we do get wolves at some point. Well, we get a mention of them. <laughs> well, aren't there wolves in one of the books? Like, one of the There's later books? There's wolf pelts. Oh. Marl Fox. Oh. Yeah. There was supposedly going to be a book written that had wolves in it, mm -hmm. but Brian died before it was ever written. So, ah, How dare you, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> uh, under a sliver of a silver moon, Clog and four longboats slip in on the high tide. His ship is beached off to the south, uh, and he plans a sneaky night attack. Uh, he mutters dark threats under his breath as his wicked crew moves silently through the water towards Marshank. The two weasels, Lumpback and Stiff Ear, are on watch that night. Lumpback is irritable, able to only just hear the drummings of the two in the pit below. He blames it on Stiff Ear, then the two squabble a little bit. When they turn back towards the sea, Lumpback also sees sand being tossed over a rock. Stiff Ear is sure by now Lumpback is well and loony, and even mocks him by saying that it's just crabs dancing.
Uh, Lumpback tells him to stop talking nonsense, which Stiffier counters that he's the one talking nonsense. Next thing he says, he'll be seeing Corsairs on the beach. Just as an arrow takes Stiffier in the throat, leaving Lumpback to yell out that they're being attacked. Also, one small side note, I feel so much sympathy for Lumpback because, like, when I was younger, I had really, really good hearing. And I still can hear pretty okay. Um, But, like, when you get, like, those um, ultrasonic, infrasonic sound, what's the word I'm looking for here? But it's that deep, deep sound that we cannot hear, but we can feel. And, like, when when a sound is just on the edge of your hearing like that, it is so irritating. Like, you can't quite hear it, but you know it's there. So your whole body's tense, just trying to figure out where it's coming from. So I feel a little sympathy for him. (laughs) It's like being able to hear... So my neighbor will occasionally... My upstairs neighbor will occasionally do something. And I don't know what it is, but it's extremely... It's not sex. Because it is way too rhythmically regular. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. Um... Hmm. And I can feel it in the wall. Maybe it's, it's not like, like yoga a or some kind loud of workout. Thump. I don't know. It causes me sensory overload and it makes me want to uh, destroy things. Oh, no. Also, um, I make a note here that like one thing that has been puzzling me is that like we do talk about like how the villains in this book so far have all been making pretty good logical decisions. Except one thing is very much puzzling me, and it's that, you know, Batarang knows. He knows that the ocean is danger to him. If he's near the ocean, his old enemies can find him. And yet, he chooses to build his fortress on the edge of the ocean. And part of me is like, is it because he's more familiar with the shores and the marshes? And like, part of me is like, I can kind of understand why he'd want to stay at least a little close to something he knows in case he ever does get like the wandering itch again and decides, you know what, I'm going to go run off with my boat, watch my fortress for me. Um, he'd be able yeah. to go. But still, Prime's just like, dude, this is like saying, I'm allergic to bees, and then building your house next to a bee farm. <laughs> and, like, my, my thing is that it's probably, this was the easiest source of stone. Was right mm. there. Also, it looks particularly menacing to see a fortress right next to the ocean. Source, yeah. Gabul. Yeah. So, like, it's probably, like, a multi-part decision. And, yeah, you're right. It's probably because he is familiar with the ocean, so he'd probably feel better having it there in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, it's it's shown, like, it's extremely rocky. So, like, getting up to the, um, like, once the fortress is finished being built, getting up to it would be difficult. Yeah, not to mention that... Right now, they're just in a particularly vulnerable position. Right, they've got the walls up, but they're not, like, up, up. You don't have all your resources, like, mustered together yet. Now, Rose had spotted the Corsairs first, and had managed to duck into the hole and hide. They ran right past her, too intent on the attack of the fortress, and in distress, she mutters for Grum, telling him to hurry. Just, and it, again, this is where I mentioned that like this book still feels lighter and partially I think because it was a prequel, but it's also, we didn't have like the typical red wall buildup of like, this is home. This is the safe place. And then like the hero's journey of like, you've been called out of home and now you are in danger. We start the book with the hero in danger. He's already in a bad situation. So we don't have that like gentle buildup. We're dropped right into it. So it's like, even with all this stuff happening, it doesn't have quite the same sense of like urgency. Like, yeah, they have to get back. Like they have to rescue themselves, but there's not really like people waiting for them back home or like they need to protect a place that's precious to them. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to get free. They're doing their best. So Brome had long fallen asleep in the pit, Martin and Feldo are starting to tire, and each agree that if that they can't keep this up much more. In a fit of determination, Martin says they won't die down here, and kicks right through the wall to a startled yelp from Grum. The mole tells them to hold fast. Tis oi, Grum! 
Badrang awakens with a squeak as a rat shakes him. He's quick to recover his pride and wit, uh, and wits donning armor and barking orders. He calls for Skalrag while heading out towards the fight, asks where Clog's ship is. When Skalrag says they've come in longboats, he ponders for a moment and orders Skalrag and ten others to go find the boat and burn it down. Slip out the back. While the fighting is focused out on the front, they're to take the tools to make fire arrows and burn the ship to the ground. With the orders given, Badring rushes to join the fight. Excuse me, the fighting. Now, the end of that sentence ends in the word melee, but it is spelt with the the pronunciation accents. Melee. 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 Uh, which was just a very funny thing to read because that doesn't happen terribly often in these books. Just a weird moment of Brian suddenly like being smacked in the back of the head by an Oxford dictionary. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, it's a fierce fight. Arrows from both sides flying thick and fast. Badrang is everywhere, cutting ropes, checking ropes, and bellowing orders. Orders that include shoring up the gates in any way they can. Because Clog has one of the longboats brought up from the shore. Its keel is plated with copper, which, when flipped over, serves as a battering ram. Uh, as well as protection from arrows. Their first charge ends with an abrupt stop and the sound of splintering timber as the gate is rocked by the impact. Clog rallies his beasts, encouraging them to back up for the next charge, saying that it's going to take, like, a good dozen of these Half, hits like, and they'll like, break through. Yeah, he says, uh, Hello, Cullies! Back her off and let's do it again! Guzzle! Deadjaw, floater, up front here with me. Arfa doesn't wax like thatin, and we can use yonder gates for toothpicks as our victory feast. Nothing can stop wave beasts such as us, mates. Charge! Yeah, and Badrang is just like, mm, I need y'all to go down there and uh, cover it up with a bunch of dirt and rocks, basically. Like, Gurad feels the rattle of the impact through the walls. A glance at Badrang shows the leader still fighting viciously, killing with light lances he... Uh, could he... Oh, I meant to write hurdle there, sorry. Uh, that he could hurdle with deadly accuracy. Uh, Badrang grabs a passing vermin, orders more dirt and rock piled behind the gates. Clog could batter the gates all he wants, it won't matter if there's enough behind the wood. And the battle carries on. Grum lets them all into the tunnel, telling them to go ahead. He'll collapse the way behind them a bit, making it impossible to tell how they got out. And it gives him a good chuckle, thinking of how confused Badrang and his lot will be to find an empty pit with no sign of escape. Uh, the young trio do as ordered, excited to be free of the place. Now, when Martin finally sees a rose, he is quite literally struck dumb. She offers them all mint tea to drink, and he stumbles over his words before finally getting out that she must be Rose. And it's like, yep, this is definitely young Martin, because none of the other Martins we've seen in the books, like actual Martin Martin, not his spirit, has had any romantic inclination whatsoever. He like this is much younger here and he's just like a bit of a pretty lady. Yeah. Probably like the first probably the first girl he's met who was the same species and not somebody he'd known since he was able to toddle. Mm -hmm. You know? So all of a sudden it's like the guy's probably running high off of hormones and God knows what else because of his situation of hormones and adrenaline steps out of a tunnel, 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 steps out of a tunnel to this drop dead, pretty little rose of a mouse. And he's just like, oh, oh no. Hello, pretty lady. Like I wasn't Can you expecting read the thing that he says. <laughs> it's, it's actually really cute. Um, drink up, Martin. Your friend and my brother are waiting their turn. He took a quick mouthful, suddenly finding his voice as he did. I beg your pardon? Her laughter was like a summer breeze among bluebells. Martin took another gulp and cleared his throat. <clears throat> Sorry, you must be Rose. And then Feldo's like, <laughs> Feldo grinned as he grabbed the canteen from his friend's faltering paws. Aye, she is. Remember me? I'm Feldo, and this other creature is Brome. Your name's Martin, and the beast whose head you're standing on is our rescuer, Grum. <laughs> Feldo's like, eh, I get to tease him. Eh. <laughs> it's very funny. Like, it is very compact, but it's also like, I like the way that this is written, because yeah. it's goofy in a fun way and not in a, like, comp-heady way, because it's like, mm -hmm. 
you know it's, it's the it's that starstruck moment when you see someone pretty like even as an ace person i can relate to this because there yes. have been people who like <laughs> i've turned around and seen a person my heart will just go <gasps> you know pretty. like pretty <laughs> can, can i draw you <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so i swear but, i fell in love about three times when we were walking around portland i'm just like you're pretty come back i want to draw you <laughs> i love you so much kid <laughs> So Martin hastily moves, and Grum, uh, mentioning the ruckus, brings Martin back to himself. Uh, he says they need to put as much distance as they can between themselves and Marshank while the vermin are distracted. Veldo doesn't want to leave his father, so Martin points out that five beasts are too few to save all the slaves. They need to go rally an army of their own. Noonvale will surely help them. Brom says no. Uh, his father is, di- uh, is disinclined to leave Noonvale, and his creatures follow him. Rose says, though, that she can ask their mother, and her mother can usually turn their father to whatever task needs doing. Martin asks Feldo if he's game, and the squirrel says yes. He'd come back with an army and dance on Badring's grave. The group clasp paws and promise. They'll do it together. They'll do it friends together. All for one and one for all. And that is the end of this part of the book. This is a really good book opening. I I don't quite think, I still think um, Marielle still has my heart. But this mm. is definitely like, I can see why this is a, a lot of people's favorite book of the series. It's a very good, strong, solid opening. There's no real yeah. complaints. I was invested the whole way through. You had a lot of good, like, little imagery, little things that were like, like, when, when authors work backwards from a character they've already established, we're like, okay, how did they get to be that character? And we get to see like those little hints, those little seeds being planted that will become the character we know and love. Yeah. It's pretty good. I'm excited to keep reading this one. Yeah. As I am with the vast majority of these books. So our questions. Um, can we skip the first one? We didn't really get any mentions of a lot of food and most yeah. of the stuff we've seen before like honestly the only thing i think i would like right now is like the mint tea or maybe like yeah. the bubbly dandelion cordial although yeah. apparently dandelion has a really bitter taste because when again when i was in portland with Faye, she got like a, a dandelion herb something soda she took like three sips out of it and then she did like the the cat drank something ba- or cat smelled something bad face and I'm just like, uh-oh. And she goes, yeah, it's got too much dandelion. It's like, uh-oh. Rip. <laughs> yeah, she didn't finish it, but I don't feel bad because um, the next morning I was daring and tried a pomegranate mocktail and regretted it deeply. <laughs> but I Rip tried. Yeah. Uh, was there an animal that appeared that surprised you slash did an animal subvert expectations? Mm, I think Brome, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, because Brome, again, like, I thought he was being set up to be, like, the spoiled brat, but he's been, like, pretty reasonable so far. He's been kind of a trooper, all things considered. I don't know if I'd be doing as good as him in that situation. I'd probably be crying my eyes out. Honestly, same. But he's doing pretty well. He um, is. I think I agree with that. Uh, what is your favorite part so far? The banter. The banter between... <laughs> Badrang and Clog has been so Same. delightfully... It's like, it's part of me is just like, can we maybe just... If Brian was still around, I would have loved to have seen him write a book where we just follow a villain. Like, we, we strictly follow the villain and only get, like, hints of what the hero is doing throughout the book until the hero arrives to, like, smite the villain. Just because I love when he gets to write good villain banter. It's real good. Yeah, I, I think that is also my favorite part, uh, as well as when Brome is, like, when they're all in the pit, just like, oh, <laughs> fever, fever, fakeness. And then, you know, Kayla being so clever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, clever bit, otter. that bit is so good. Yeah, it's fun seeing an otter who gets to be clever and not just the brawn, where, like, mm-hmm. Feldo is kind of being more set up as the brawn than Kayla is, which I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how well do you think this book can be read out loud? Pretty well. The names in this book are definitely not as bad as the last one. That last one was rough for Mm -hmm. me when it came to names. This one, I'm having a much easier time 
understanding and they've just got fun spellings yeah they've got fun spellings but for the most part you know like brome is just rome with a b or as i was saying it brom before i got to the rhyme and remembered oh wait it's brome um there's there's a lot of also like very entertaining bits like of dialogue that can be read out loud like them you know in the pit being like oh the fever the fever i'm afraid i've got the the kind of thing that you can get kids to laugh at Mm mm-hmm do they do they know the vapors in Britain? I don't know. That's like a that's like very much an American like American South thing. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Um so this is a question that we got from Charcoal and this is specifically about the Redwall animated series less so than this because we're told right away that Badrang is a stoat. But uh what creature did you first think Badrang was because when I first saw him in the Redwall animated series, I straight up thought he was a wolf. Now, for context for everybody, we will show a picture, but in the animated series, he does not look like a stoat. Um, if you go to the voice chat chat and scroll up just a little bit, his I mean, picture is Oh, there. that is not a stoat! What no, the No, he looks like a weird sort of canid something or other Why with like, is he little like... ears. And I don't know what the fuck <gasps> they thought he was supposed to be, but it wasn't a, a stoat. Um, yeah, that's, that's a choice and it's a bad one. Like the, okay. The design itself is good. Like the design itself is fine, but once you tell me it's supposed to be a stoat, yeah, he doesn't like, if this was like, I would believe you maybe if you told me he was a rat. Yeah. Rat maybe, but it's like, this is like a very noodly wolf. Yeah weird like maybe a pine martin i'd believe you yeah pine martin wouldn't be too bad but it's still Um, it's a choice in in our book club discussion kai the mad uh responded with like uh uh if you look real close at the character designs from the cartoon i don't think any of the animators at nelvana had ever seen an animal before (laughs) and you know (laughs) if you if you've seen the cartoon (laughs) you know (laughs) Which is doubly, doubly ironic because I actually have a friend who works for Nilana now. Nice. Yeah. Like, this is, like, back in, like, the 90s, though. Like, 90s and early aughts. So mm-hmm. it's, like... And this was a PBS show. <laughs> so their funding was iffy. Yeah. So and like, you know what? Nilvana, for, for all that, like, they were kind of, like, the go-to, like, air quotes, cheap studio for kids stuff... They're a good studio. They made a lot of good cartoons with what they had, and I will I will defend that. I, I think the animation with the the uh, voice acting suffered a lot because their lip syncing in the Redwall show was not good. Oh no! It's so bad. I'm scared when we're finally going to have to watch this show. <laughs> like me, just I'm going to start dragging my feet with the last two books because I don't want to watch the show. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. We will invite other people to experience it with us and force them to, to endure the torture with us. <laughs> that is how we will do it. Uh, so, uh, shall we revise a little bit of our uh, which would be vampires and which would be werewolves? Yeah, because... Uh... Clog. Vampire or werewolf? Werewolf? He's way too jovial and, like, boisterous to be a vampire. He's He's the, he's the kind of sneaky of like a wolf who wants you, like a wolf who wants something another wolf has. So he's going to play nice and goofy until he can snatch it and run off. And if he can't play nice, then he's just going to bite the crap out of you. Biting you, biting you, biting you, biting you. (laughs) Badrang, vampire or werewolf? Honestly, he hasn't, he hasn't shown enough of a character for me to say either way. Mm, I think he's werewolf, um... But I think, honestly, a lot of sea rats tend to fall into werewolf category. Because they go more for, like, the bully bluster leader of the pack. Yeah. So, eh. And our last questions are for when we get to the bill maker, so we're going to skip over them. And that's it. We don't have any more questions. All right. We uh, did pretty good today. Yeah. Um, if you have questions for us, you can join the Discord, or you can send them to our Tumblr, or our email, or the Reddit, whatever you want to do. You can come join us on the Discord for our fun discussion times. Uh, you know, shenanigans. Yeah. Uh, please do. I, I very much like our Discord. It's a nice little community. It's very fun. 
Um, so thank you for listening to Abbey Archives. We are grateful that you lent us your ears and we hope you enjoyed your time with us. Uh, I have been Izzy. You can find me on Tumblr at lotsadeer.tumblr.com. Uh, you can find the other podcast I do at Hope's Hearth Pod, which is a Solar Hope Punk actual play podcast. Uh, you will also hopefully, uh, at worst by the end of the year and at best by midsummer, be able to start listening to Colchis, a sci-fi audio drama about two disaster lesbians set out to catalog life on a new planet and hopefully make first contact. Who knows what that first contact will be, though. <laughs> okay. And this has been Kit. You can find me at Kitsy in a Box on most social medias that I'm on, but mainly Tumblr. I do the Kits and Day, which are little dessert-themed foxes. They're my little guys. I also do regular art commissions. And yeah, that's it for me right now. Yeah, you can find us both at Abbey Archives on Tumblr and Reddit, of course. Please take the time to rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, uh, particularly uh, iTunes, Acast, whatever the fuck it is, because that's the big one that a lot of people use. And the more rating and reviews we get, the more people see our podcast. We're not here to make money. We just want more people to know we exist. We want more you people know? to talk to. We want other people yeah, to we enjoy people revisiting to the series. Talk to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so may your hearth be warm and your heart be merry from us to you at Redwall Abbey. Bye. Bye. And the music will start. We got a clap. We got a clap. It's the fire and then it's the clap. Uh, clap That's at right. the, uh, the, the 50. Okay. on social media you can follow us on tumblr and reddit at abby archives and if you would like to help support this podcast you can find us on coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash hs enclave this podcast is part of hearthside enclave and some other shows you might like are hope's hearth a solar hope punk actual play podcast and post-apocalyptic news radio a fallout inspired audio drama